Hi, my name is Mikey. Uh, it will be my pleasure to read the Bible today. Passages Mark 10, uh, 17 to 31. Uh, it's just behind me. Okay. The rich and the kingdom of God. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked back at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had a great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it, for, uh, t- how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are impossible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. It has a button. There you go. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, My grandfather died a few years ago. You can see a picture of him up here, um, there with my mother at my mum's wedding. Now, when he died, he was in his 90s. But, you know, sadly, not one of his nine children spoke at the funeral. They didn't want to speak at his funeral. And I don't judge my uncle and aunts because my grandfather actually wasn't a very nice person. Uh, My mum died many years ago, but from what I can piece together, my grandfather could be pretty manipulative and controlling and fairly self-centred, maybe even to the point of being a narcissist. And he could be quite terrifying, apparently. He, he was a broken kind of man. He, he didn't grow up with his parents. I can't quite figure out. I think he might have grown up with his grandparents. He was a World War II veteran. He obviously had his own trauma, but he passed that on down to his family so that he let some pretty awful stuff happen. And my mum, she was pretty messed up by her childhood. I remember as a kid... Everyone just called my mum Anne, even though that wasn't her name. That was her middle name. But she, she was so messed up, she didn't feel like she could embrace her true identity and, and call herself by her real name, Elizabeth. I didn't really understand um, at the time, but when I was a kid, she actually reached a point in her life where she felt healed enough to start to embrace who she was again. And so she, she changed her name. It was kind of weird as a kid, but she changed her name back to who she was born, she called herself Elizabeth. Now, I didn't really understand that, but there were two things that were clear to me as a kid. 
was clear that she'd had a hard past and that it still affected her. But it was also clear that she had a bright future, that she was embracing life and she was healing. And it was always crystal clear to me and and to everyone, really. It was always crystal clear exactly why. It was because Jesus was good for her life. After mum left home, she'd come to think that God was worth believing in. My grandfather, he didn't have any time for God whatsoever. But mum, when she left home, she'd come to think God was worth believing in. And so even when I was a kid, there was no doubt in my mind that Jesus was good for her life. Because when I saw where she'd come from and where many of her siblings were still at in life, there was really only one thing that, was, that had taken her down a different path. And that was believing in God. But you know, the funny thing is, even though I could, I could see that God was good for my mum's life, I remember when I was in high school, I wasn't so sure that God was, was good for my life. I remember thinking he, he didn't really add that much that was good. If anything, all he really added was restrictions on my life. Uh, I felt like he made it harder to fit in and harder to enjoy life. And I reckon that kind of thinking is actually pretty common. I used to work with um, uni students and one time we put up all around campus and in the colleges these big A3 blank bits of paper with a, a pen attached. All it had written on it was the problem with Christianity is dot, dot, dot. And do you know what the, um, the most common, one of the most common responses was? If you could kind of look past the, uh, the pictures that uh, shouldn't have been on there. One of, the, one of the most common answers was the problem is it's no fun. You know, there's a really common idea out there that um, God is not good for my life because he takes the joy out of living. And there's another feeling out there that's a bit more recent. There's a feeling that God's not good for my life because what he's on about clashes with what culture now considers to be good. You know, people who believed in God once upon a time used to be seen as the annoyingly good people. But now they're seen as the bad people living repressed, unhealthy kind of lives. And so the common sense kind of wisdom that's out there is why would I believe in God when he, he's not good for my life? Why believe in God when he's not good for my life in, in terms of enjoyment of life or quality of life or in terms of modern morality or even in times, terms of psychological health or freedom? And so when we ask lots of people in our community what would make God worth believing in, it's not at all surprising that th- this is one of the top responses. God would be worth believing in if he was good for my life, but he's really not. And so today we're going to look at this response. We're not really going to do it justice. We're just going to very briefly look at it. There's heaps more we could say. But even in the very brief time that we've got, we're going to see that this common sense kind of wisdom idea couldn't be more off the mark because God is absolutely good for your life. This is the first thing that, that I've got to say to you today. Believing in God is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly good for your life. And I'm not just saying this because of my experience with my mum 
or even because it's absolutely true in my own life, or even because I've seen that it's absolutely true in hundreds of people's lives, including some of you here, I'm actually saying this because the data overwhelmingly tells you that believing in God is good for your life. Scientific study after study shows this in almost any area that you possibly could study. This is so clear that in 2016, a a professor and and a journalist wrote a USA Today op-ed entitled Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. Here's a a small part of that article. It says, Professor van der Weele's new research with colleagues at Harvard University, building on more than 20 years of prior work in this area, suggests that attending religious services brings about better physical and mental health. Adults who do so at least once a week versus not at all have been shown to have a significantly lower risk of dying over the next decade and a half. The results have been replicated in enough studies and populations to be considered quite reliable. Believing in God is literally good for your life. You know, going to church regularly each week reduced mortality rates by 20 to 30% over a 15 year period i mean it sounds ridiculous but it's true and we might think of church as being deadly boring right and it turns out you know it it may well be boring but it's not at all deadly it's the opposite Uh, in all sorts of areas actually believing in god is good for your life so studies show that it helps people cope with stress mental health is massively improved Even things like recovery from illness is improved. There's decreased loneliness scores for those who believe in God. Some studies seem to show there's greater education scores, higher charitable giving, decreased crime and decreased juvenile delinquency. There are greater scores for marriage quality and stability. And there really are even improved Physical health scores. There's a, a, a Australian Journal article titled Spirituality, Religion and Health, Evidence and Research Directions. And they reference one study and they say, Koenig et al. reported that the majority of the studies of heart disease, blood pressure and cancer risk found salutary, so beneficial effects, among the more religious And one I find weird, just because it just seems odd, is that even immune system responses have been shown in studies to be better. Atheist um, psychologist Jonathan Haidt, he observes, studies have long shown that religious believers in the United States are happier, healthier, longer-lived and more generous to charity and to each other than are secular people. And, you know, even in terms of sexual satisfaction, studies have shown that belief in God is good for your life. There's a new study that's um, pretty recent in the Journal of Sex Research. This is, this is quite a serious study. More than 10,000 heterosexual adults in the UK. And it reports this. The findings point to a generally higher satisfaction from sex life among those who considered religion as fairly or very important compared to those stating religion was not important 
at all. Now, it almost feels a bit embarrassing to talk about. Not sex. I mean, it feels a bit embarrassing to talk about how good for our lives believing in God is. It feels embarrassing because it almost feels like I'm, I'm boasting, you know, boasting about believing in God or something like that. Now, I'm not trying to do that. But I am saying that despite what you might have been told in movies or the media or by friends, the evidence overwhelmingly shows that believing in God and and being part of a, a regular part of a community that believes in God is good for your life. God is good for your life in almost any way you can think of. And I'm not saying this proves anything about God either. You know, there's... There really is lots of good evidence to believe in God, but just because belief in him is good for your life doesn't actually prove that he exists or anything like that. But it should make you stop believing the lie that belief in God is bad for your life because it's not. If you think about it, it's actually the opposite that is true. So please hear me right. I'm not boasting. I'm not thinking this proves everything about God. And I'm also not thinking that even if people see the truth of this, that it will particularly make any difference to their beliefs or life choices. So I know from many studies um, that the Mediterranean diet would be good for my life. Do you know the Mediterranean diet? You know, fish twice a week, not much meat at all, and, and, and virtually no red meat, lots of vegetables, salad, that kind of thing. Now, I am convinced scientifically that would be good for me. But you know what I ate this week, just gone by? Red meat. <laughs> Bacon probably as well. I mean, you try feeding just fish and vegetables to teenagers and see how that goes for you. Just because you know something's good for you, it doesn't necessarily change you. Knowing God is good for your life doesn't necessarily change anything. I, I've never sort of sat next to someone at church who said, oh, yeah, I'm here because I read a study that uh, believing in God will add seven years to my life. I mean, there's more to the picture than that. And actually, that's, that's the second thing that I've got to say to you today is that there's a lot more to the picture. Because even though science will say to you that believing in God is good for your life, Jesus himself says something quite different. We saw a taste of it in, in that little bit of the Bible that was read for us just before. A rich man comes up to Jesus, you know, a guy who seems to have everything but who wants even more. He wants to have eternal life. And Jesus says to this man that what he needs to do is to follow him and that will cost him everything. This is our second point. You know, believing in God is overwhelmingly good for your life and yet following God costs you your life. These ideas... These two ideas, they they clash. Can you see that, how they clash? Even though so many studies have have shown that believing God is good for you, Jesus says it will cost you your life. He says fully believing in God means giving up your life. Just a a little bit before before Jesus met this, this rich man, he actually said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross And follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus is is really clear. Believing in him costs you your life, not 
necessarily literally, but it, it always means giving up living for yourself and instead living for him. And what this means can play out differently for each person. Um, we, we actually see what this looks like uh, with the rich man. So let's, let's go back to his, what happens with him because we get to see what it looks like in his story. So the rich man, we heard, he asked Jesus, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But you notice as he does that, he addresses Jesus as good teacher. And I reckon Jesus does something a bit strange here because before he answers him, he says, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I reckon the rich guy, he, he would have felt like Jesus was focusing on the wrong thing here. His interest is how do I have eternal life and not who is good. But as always is the case with Jesus, Jesus is focusing in on the real question. The problem with, with this rich guy is that he thinks he's got what it takes. He, he thinks he's got what it takes to have eternal life. And so by Jesus pushing this man on why he calls him good when only God is good, it actually does two things. First, it gives the man an opportunity to open his eyes and see that he's really not the answer, this rich guy. If God alone is good, then he's never going to be good enough in and of himself. But second, he gives this guy the opportunity to see that Jesus really is the answer. If Jesus really is good, then he's also God. And if he's God, then he's able to to do what's impossible for this rich guy and impossible for his money to do, he's able, Jesus is able to freely give him eternal life. But the rich man misses the point because Jesus says to him, well, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. And the man straight away confidently says, teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, you'd expect from what Jesus has just said about who alone is good that he might have been a bit more honest with himself and honest with Jesus, but no. He says, yep, I'm all good, Jesus. It's almost as if this guy is saying, no one is good except God alone. Oh, and and me too. Really? Personally, I, I find this rich guy's blindness just a bit irritating. But Jesus doesn't get annoyed at him. Did you notice that in the story? Look at what happens. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. See what he lacks? What he lacks is Jesus. And what stands in the way of, of, seeing, of him seeing what he lacks is his money. And so for him in his journey, it was literally going to cost him everything to literally follow Jesus down the road. And we see what he thinks of this. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Life for him was, was in his money, not, not in Jesus. And he decided if, if that's what it was going to cost him, then God was not worth believing in. Because in his point, from his point of view, God was not good for his life. 
Now, that's, that's just one person's story. But Jesus is really clear that believing in him costs you your life. Not necessarily literally, although sometimes it does. Not necessarily selling all your stuff, although that's clearly what it meant for this guy. But it always means that everyone who'd follow him would give up living for themselves and instead live for him. And so this this should make us just pause here and think, well, which one is it? Is believing in God good for your life? Or is it costly for my life? And this brings us to our last point. Giving up your life for God is good for your life. Giving up your life for God is good for your life. Let's just sort of step back from this for a little bit. If God is real, which he is, and if he's intensely interested in you, which he also is, then of course it's good for you to give up your life, to give it over to him. Let me explain this a bit. I think it's, it's really easy for us to, to be like this rich guy, to think that with our money, with our choices, we hold our own lives in our own hands. We can think pretty easily that we control our own destiny. But the reality is that we're nowhere near as in control as we think we are. Wealth can disappear pretty quickly. You can walk into a doctor's surgery feeling in good health and walk out with a terminal diagnosis. A couple of weeks ago in church where I'm at, uh, a young guy in his 20s walked into the doctor, just, you know, headaches, walks out with an ongoing chronic condition, really high blood pressure and kidneys that have got an issue. This not in control, as he thought he was. A family can fly apart almost overnight. Even peace in this world, don't you reckon, is is more fragile than we thought it, it was? We have got far less control of our lives than we think. And even if we can maintain the, the illusion that we're fully in control of our lives, there's one thing we can't control. We can delay it, but one day we will all die. And Jesus tells us that on that day, all illusions of control will evaporate when we meet the one person who is fully in control and who alone is fully good. The sooner we give up trying to fake control, the better it will be for our lives, both now and for all eternity. Because do you realise that what God wants for you is better than what you want for yourself? What he wants for you is better than what you want for you. So giving up your life for God is good for your life because God is good. I mean, Jesus, when he looks at this guy, he loves him. When he looks at us, he loves us with a love so strong it's what took him to the cross. Jesus, who's truly good, who dies to make it possible for people who aren't truly good to have eternal life. But giving up your life for God is not just 
good for eternal life. It's actually good for life now too. The disciples we we heard in that reading, they were a bit disturbed by this rich guy and, and what happens with him. And Peter, he speaks up and he says, but hey, we've left everything to follow you. But listen to, you know, Peter. Peter's one of those guys who's, who's given up his life for God. But listen to what Jesus tells him because he says he's actually gained more than he's given. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is saying to Peter and and all his followers, giving up your life for God is actually good for your life. Even in this life, even though there can be persecutions, still what they gain is huge. And he's not saying they're going to be, you know, like real estate moguls owning hundreds of houses or anything like that. His point is part of what they gain in this life is the community, the community that they enter. So let me summarise what we've seen today as we come to an end. It's pretty clear that believing in God and being a regular part of a community that believes in God is scientifically good for your life. But at the same time, it's also pretty clear that Jesus is saying following him actually means giving up your life. It costs you your life. It means surrendering control to someone else. It means giving up living for ourselves and what we want and instead living for Jesus. But we've also seen that actually this is what's good for our lives, both now and for all eternity. Because living for Jesus means living for someone who loves you so much that he died for you on the cross. It means doing life with someone who sees you understands you, gets you, hears you, helps you. And it it means being a part of a, a community of people who truly value and love you. And ultimately, it means that Jesus will give you a life that goes on beyond death into eternity. I, uh, I mentioned my mum at the beginning. This is a picture of her. Well, it looks even more blurry up there than it is. All, all the photos I have from childhood are blurry, but that one's uh, especially blurry up there. That's me as well. Uh, my mum, like I said, was someone clearly changed for the better by believing in God. And I reckon if you'd, you'd known her, you would have known that yourself. You would agree God was good for her life. And I can honestly tell you that even though she died when she was four years older than I am now, when she died, I was 20 and, you know, she seemed really old. But now she seems really young as I think about it. She, uh, she got cancer. She always felt that it was because of the chemicals that they had to use on the farm growing up. But even though she died so young, I can tell you 100% God was good for her life. She died knowing death is not the end. She died knowing that because Jesus, who she loved, because he had loved her and died for her, she would live with him forever. Believing in God was worth it for her, both in this life, but also beyond this life. 
Now that's the kind of life that Jesus offers to any one of us. He says to anyone, he says to you, give up living for yourself. Live for me. And he says, I'll make your life better now and I'll give you life that goes on forever. Now I've shown you just a small bit of evidence, tiny bit of evidence today, why Jesus is worth believing when he says that to you. I'd love for you to have a chance to see more evidence. Um, We've got coming up, uh, starting tomorrow night, a few Monday nights in November where we're going to be looking more at this kind of stuff. Uh, It'll be in the the Highbury uh, Hotel and in a safe, kind of relaxed, ask any kind of question environment in the function room there. Come along or bring someone along. Come along so you can see for yourself... Uh, and and figure out for yourself if you think God would be good for your life. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the amazing fact that what you want for our lives is better than what we even want for our lives. Thank you that Jesus looks on us, he sees us, knows us, understands us, and yet he loves us. Thank you that his love was so great that it it took him to the cross for each one of us. Father, help us to see that you really are worth believing in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.